0: To Amos chapter 2. Amos chapter 2. We're going to continue uh, really from last week because we have one of the remaining uh, kingdoms that were to the eastern side of the Jordan River, and that being the kingdom of Moab. And so we'll look at that before the Lord moves on. And this is one of the beauties of the Word of God. That what God says is true, and how He says it is purposeful and willful and direct. It's, these are not accidental gatherings of, of clusters of peoples. This is not a group that the Lord is speaking of that is disassociated from your modern history book. And in fact, as we as we look at the history of the world, and specifically the history of the Middle East, we're going to find out that these nations have been involved. Uh, in, in, in much of the goings-on of that region of the world for the last 2,700 years since these words were written. And what was said then is true now. And what was said then is in action now. And you can look at your world to verify these things. You, you can actually physically check your world out and go, you know what, what God said is true. It's happening. We see it. We understand it. And so tonight, again, we'll get a little bit of a history lesson when we get here to the end of the first few verses in chapter 2. Last time, the vigilant prophet, he's looking around. He's checking out his world. He's saying north, south, east, and west. These nations are not Israel's friend. Don't trust them. They mean you evil, and they still mean Israel evil today, as we saw last time. And so we're going to pick up on the final... Uh, kingdom that's there on the eastern bank of the Jordan River will begin with Moab, and before we do so let's pray and ask God to speak to us by the power of his word lord we're grateful uh, for your prophetic word, and as we study it god we're we're challenged we're encouraged we're strengthened uh, we're built up, it causes us to look at our world through the lens of scripture, and we pray tonight as we Uh, Look at this final nation that resides in what is modern-day Jordan. Lord, these people that we knew then as the Moabites, Lord, the sworn enemy uh, of the Jewish people. God, we pray that you would minister to us your truth. Help us to lay hold of it, God, that we could use it when we talk to people, that we can not just simply point out the faults, but we can point out the history uh, of the world, that we'd be able to say, you know, what was true then is true now. And God, you are true. And you are truth. And so, Lord, we give you tonight. We pray that you'd speak to us. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Amos 2. And remember, again, this is, you're seeing these repetitive uses of figures of speech. He gives again the command, for thus says the Lord. He speaks not of his own. He's speaking for the Lord. He's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not Amos' opinion. This isn't, you know, kind of he looked at the world and then decided what was going on and said it. He sought the Lord. The Lord gave him the word, and then he spoke the word. He proclaimed it. Very important distinction, because a lot of people kind of look at the world, and then they speak about what they see. That's not what's happening. He's speaking ahead of these things happening. He's speaking forth the word of God. He's speaking prophetically. And so as you look at this, uh, you're going to find that this particular nation is still at it, so to speak. For thus says the Lord, and again he uses his formula here, Uh, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four. And so again, theirs is filled up, that sevenfold filling uh, of the wrath of God. It's like, look, I, I let you go the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time, and then the seventh time when God has had enough. And again, this is figurative in the sense that when God says he's had enough, he's had enough. We don't know when that is. That's why it's very important that we don't give him reason to have enough. Amen? In our own lives personally, one of the dumbest things that you can do is attempt to find out where the limits of God lie. If you want a a recipe for misery in your life, try and figure out where the edge of that envelope is. One of the examples that I use, and actually it's happened recently, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Pretty good percentage of you. And and this is why these passages are so important. It's rather like when you go to the Grand Canyon. You're familiar. Most of you, if you've been there, you've been to the South Rim. Most people do not go to the North Rim. But the South Rim, which is Grand Canyon National Park, and you you walk along the the canyon walkway that's there, and there are several little places where you can step out to the edge of the Grand Canyon, and there's a rail there. And you know that rail, it's a little handrail, it's about 42 inches high or so. And it is there for the single purpose of telling you this is as far as you can go. To go any further makes you dumb as a sack of rocks. Okay? Why? Because just past that is the edge of the Grand Canyon. Happened about three weeks ago, another knucklehead. Wants to have his Instagram photo. So what does he do? He hops over the rail. He goes to the edge of the rail. He turns around and hooks his toes on the edge of the railing. Okay? So he is now leaning backwards over the Grand Canyon. And having his girlfriend take a photo. Bummer for him because his toes slipped off and he plunged to his death. Okay? Okay? All for the purpose of finding out how far he could go after the boundary. There's the boundary. Don't go on the other side of it. Look, don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't do these things. God says, here's the boundary. Don't hang out with these kind of people. Do not do this. Over there is a chasm. If you fall in it, you'll die. The analogy is this. All for a photo. All for a moment in time. And see, that is true both of us personally. It's true of the Jewish people. It's true of the nations of the world. One of the things that the world tries to do, and the people in the world try and do, is figure out how far they can go without plunging to their death. The boundaries are there. Do not test them. To do so is not just foolish. It's suicidal. And so he says for three transgressions of Moab and for four. This is it. It's the end. I will not turn away its punishment. Now notice the results. The same result. Amen? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He is the Uncaused cause of all other things that exist. Okay? He was before, He is now, and He f- will forever be. I am the Alpha, Jesus said, and I am the Omega. I'm the beginning, I'm the end. I was there when it started, I'll be there when it finishes. So, if you want to get information about anything, you want to go to the source. Amen? And then what you want, beyond the source, is someone who's been in business a long time. Amen? You really kind of don't want to hire somebody that's gone to the source, and it's their first job, so to speak. So the Lord is the Alpha and the Omega. He's been at it for a long time. And so He speaks to us from the position of making no mistakes. He's not going to mislead. And so as he begins to talk to the people through the prophet Amos, he says, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime." Now remember, Moab and Edom are brothers. And they're genetically the kinfolk of the Jewish people. And this is what hatred does. Hatred's not satisfied, true hatred with just simply seeing to it that someone gets their comeuppance, true hatred wants to erase absolutely every evidence that that person ever exists. Does it sound like any group of people on earth with regard to the Jewish people that you know of? The Arab peoples want to see the Jewish people erased from the face of the earth. And so deep is that hatred that they even do it to their own brothers and sisters. Hence, the Arab wars within themselves. In Syria, it is Arab against Arab of different flavor. In Jordan, it is Jordanians against pure Hashemites. It has always been that way. It has been that way for 2,700 years, and it remains so to this day. And so it says, But I will send fire upon Moab and devour the palaces of Kiroth. And Moab shall die in tumult with shouting and trumpet sound. And I will cut off the judge from its mist Midst, excuse me, and slay all of its princes with him, says the Lord. And so, as Amos is looking ahead, he's looking ahead to these intertribal wars, to the fact that these guys don't like each other. And as I shared with you last time, if you want to unite Arab peoples, all you have to do is mention the Jewish people. They will instantaneously unite over one cause, and that's the Jews. But apart from that, They don't like each other. They still don't like each other. They fight with each other constantly. And in fact, military superiority is the one thing that they all seek. It's the reason that the Iranians, which are actually ethnically Persian, are trying to get an atomic weapon. They want to make sure they have the upper hand. They don't want any of these other peoples with whom they cannot get along to get the upper hand. If you remember when we went into Iraq, it was not just a Taliban problem. It was not just an Al-Qaeda problem. It was a Sunni and Shia problem. They hated each other. The ethnic Sunnis hated the ethnic Shia. Both Arabs, brothers, actually kinfolk, but they hate each other. still exists to this day. You look at your world What Scripture says is absolutely true. And so here we have the final ethnically related enemy. And I want to show you for just a second as I step aside here. When you're talking about the Northern Kingdom, which is up here, which is everything basically from the top end, the north end of the Dead Sea, Jerusalem is actually adjacent to it there, would have been the capital then of the Southern Kingdom of Judah. The Northern Kingdom, ten tribes up here, so Levi and Judah down here, the other ten up there, the capital at Samaria, it helps to get in a mindset of understanding where these nations are. They're not separated by hundreds and thousands of miles. They are next-door neighbors. Okay, The total distance from there to there is 162 miles. That's it. It's about the length of San Bernardino County if you go crossways. Okay, So it's not very large. And so the kingdom of the Assyrian Empire was to the north. And that went over all the way into modern-day Turkey, which would be over this direction to the east. Iraq would be here. This is actually Jordan. And so now look at these nations. Here's the kingdom of Syria, Damascus, its capital, the kingdom of Ammon, which we already do. It's Rabath Ammon there. The kingdom of Moab, which is right here, and the kingdom of Edom. So they are actually all neighbors. To give you an idea, that's less than 50 miles not very big. It's like us going to Riverside. So when you talk about the king of Moab and the king of Edom hating each other and so hating each other that you take your king and you burn his bones into lime, that means to incinerate him in such a way that there's nothing left but dust. Okay, They didn't have a crematorium at that time. That meant severe absolute raging hatred where they would just keep heaping the fire on until there was nothing left. And so the reason I share this with you is when you look at this, this is all, the whole thing is modern day Jordan. Every bit of it. It's called the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. And so if you now take modern day Israel, which would travel all the way down here to the Gulf of Aqaba, and the Red Sea would be on this side, that little point that's down there, that the Jewish people have their final southern city of Eilat, and the Jordanians have their city, also Eilat. Um, They are just below, down here, about 35 miles south of Petra. And so this whole kingdom that we're talking about, all four of these regions, uh, other than the portion which is modern-day Syria, is all Jordan, every last bit of it. And so as we look at Moab's sin, uh, it it is uh, what I call the spiteful state of soul. It's that condition that, that gets inside so deep that it's what we call blind hatred. It's rage. It's the type of hatred that it doesn't matter what somebody would do. It doesn't matter whether they change or not. It simply matters that hatred exists, and they don't even know why they hate. And the reason I'm setting you up this way is to, to bring you forward into our modern day and time. And so during that time, Jehoram of Israel and Jehoshaphat of Judah, the king of Edom, had actually joined forces against Moab. And so Edom was actually aligned, if you will, with both the northern and southern kingdoms of the Jewish people. And so because that happened, because one of their own kind dared to join forces with the Jewish people, unbelievable raging hatred occurs in this little tiny area that is to this day largely uninhabitable. If you look at that particular area, how many of you have ever seen picture? Well, you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusades. Okay, that's the rock city of Petra. That's where it was filmed. That's pretty much the whole southern half of Jordan. It all looks like that. It's wadis, rocks, deserts. There's nothing there. And so it's not like they're fighting over, you know, like the Central Valley of California. Or if, if I were going to have a, a place that I would go to bat for, I would go to bat for Bishop, California. I'm going to take over Bishop. I'm going to become the king of Bishop. I don't know why. And Mammoth. I'm annexing Mammoth. But you see, it's not like that. It's this desert pile of rocks. But the hatred is so deep that the divisions within these people still exist. They still wander. Oh, you're from over on that side of the rock pile. And so the men... The nations were just moved to hate. And so because they make an alliance with the Hebrews, they begin to just hate each other. And venting that hatred upon the corpse of their king is just a sign of exactly how far that hatred went. And and no matter how much time passes, unless there's a change of heart, that hatred remains. What do you see in the world today? Move you forward now. The Jewish people, and I'm giving you a little history lesson because it's important to the remainder of the story. The history of the Jewish people is the destruction of the temple in AD 70 under the Roman general Titus. The city is basically decimated. It ceases to have a temple. There is no place for the Jewish people to worship the Lord. They are now into what we call the diaspora. They are kicked out. They're scattered all over the world. For the better part of 2,000 years, they remained scattered to the entire world. The only reason they survived, by the way, is because they were scattered to the entire world. They became so sparsely populated in the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of the hatred of their Arab neighbors, they're forced to flee. We pick up the story in 1948, in May. In May of 1948, The Balfour Declaration is declared to be valid. The Jewish people are given a homeland. And after about a couple of months of negotiation, it's finally penciled down to this narrow strip of land that's called modern-day Israel, which today is about 50% smaller than the original allotment of land because they've given back the West Bank, the Golan Heights, the Gaza Strip. And so Israel is now back in the land in 1948. Forty-three days later, in 1948, in June, the Jews lose Jerusalem to guess who? The Jordanian Arabs. That's how deep that hatred goes. Two thousand years after Christ steps onto this earth, they're still hating each other. So in 1948, the Arab Legion, its army, sweeps into Jerusalem. They take the Temple Mount. During the time of that coming into Jerusalem, they destroy all but two synagogues in the entire city. Fifty-eight of them are burned to the ground. When you go to the Mount of Olives today, it is a very large cemetery. The Jews no longer mark their graves on the Mount of Olives. It's actually a Jewish cemetery They no longer put the Star of David. They no longer put a Torah scroll. They don't put a mezuzah. They put nothing on their graves. Why? Because beginning in 1948, until this very day, every single Arab that goes through that area will try and find a Jewish headstone and disgrace it, deface it, kick it over, defecate on it, And in fact, when the Jordanian Arabs captured Jerusalem, they took the headstones of the Jewish graves and made latrines out of them. That's how deep the hatred goes to this day. And you can read, this is all in your history books if you read real history. So there for 2,500 years, the Jewish people are burying their dead on the Mount of Olives. As soon as the Moabites and the Edomites and the Amorites get an opportunity just exactly as Amos said. They get an opportunity to come after the Jewish people. They have not been a nation state for even two months. And they're attacked again. During the 1967 war, the Temple Mount is liberated. Most of you have seen the story. A man who's spoken in this pulpit, Dr. Yehuda Hookman, was one of those five men in that picture. They liberate the Temple Mount. And there Shlomo Goram goes to the Temple Mount with the shofar and blows the horn. The Temple Mount's been liberated. He was nearly killed by a Jordanian sniper because it was the Jordanians that were guarding the Temple Mount. And so the Al-Aqsa Mosque The Dome of the Rock were off limits to the Arab people. And for the first time since the temple was raised, really, they actually had control of it. But because of the hatred of their Arab neighbors, and because of the fear of what that might bring to them, they gave them back the Temple Mount. They said, we'll give back our most holy place, We just don't want to fight, because that's how deep the hatred goes. The response to that was that the Jordanians set up a perimeter around the Temple Mount. And for sport, they would shoot Jews. So in 1967, till about 1974, the Jordanians were having target practice on the Jewish people. Finally, the world says, this is nuts. You can't do that. You need to remove your military units. And so from that time to today, there has been a UN force in Jerusalem. That UN force loosely keeps the peace. But is it successful? The answer is not on your life. The suicide bombings continue to this day. The shootings continue to this day. And in fact... Here's how deep the hatred is. Most of you know that one of our famous movie stars was married to the former king of Jordan. You know her as Queen Noor. Okay, Queen Noor is married to King Abdullah Hussein of Jordan. Okay, So he is the last of the actual ethnically Edomite kings. As his last act of defiance, one year before his death... Do you know what he wanted to be remembered for? He's the one that personally donated about five million dollars of his own money to buy 168 pounds of 24 karat gold to recover the Dome of the Rock Mosque. That's why today it still stands gold covered. So when you look at your world, what God said was, these people hate you. And that hatred is a deep-seated hatred that has been filled up as far as God is concerned. And because of it, he has sent nation after nation to chasten these areas of the world. And because of it, one day, Jesus is stepping back out of eternity and into time, and he is going to finally deal with them at the Battle of Armageddon. Now it moves you forward to today. And so, We've looked at history in this one particular uh, group of people, and so what started 2,700 years ago, which continues to this day. If you fly into Ben Gurion Airport in Israel, and if you're one of those people, I have a lot of stamps in my passport. If you look at my passport, I, I have like dozens of them from Argentina and Brazil and Paraguay and you know all over the world. And when you look at it, it's kind of fun. Let me tell you a stamp that if you want to travel in the Middle East, you don't want. It's a stamp that you enter Israel. Why? Because if you have an Israeli stamp in your passport, you are banned from all of the Arab nations in the Middle East. You can't go there. You open it up, there's a Star of David on their stamp. Uh Uh-uh. See you. Go away. The hatred still exists. So I can't help but think what Amos said hasn't been fully fulfilled yet. Yes, the Assyrians came. Those Arab neighbors are still there. And one last time, a God-hating antichrist is going to raise up, I believe, a Russian army that will gather together all of the Arab nations that surround them for one last go at the nation Israel. Good news is, you won't be here to see that battle. Amen? And so now God moves on, verse 4, and the remainder of this chapter to the land that's native to God's people. Now you remember that the promise of God, God made a covenant promise with the Jewish people. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And part of that promise was not just his presence, because remember, he was the, the Jewish people are the only people to whom God has ever said, I will give you a temple, and I will physically reside in that temple. I will be with you, says the Lord. And so to them, he also gave as a sign of that promise the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land that includes all of those nations, by the way. Every last one of them is in the original boundaries of the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, known as the land of Canaan. And so that land God gave to His people. But He is not blind to their sin. And He is an equal opportunity punisher of those who do evil. And so the Jewish people aren't exempt either. Notice what it now says, picking up in verse 4, and the, the doom, if you will, of royal Judah. For thus says the Lord, for three transgressions and for four, He uses exactly the same formula. He says, you guys are biffing it too. You're blowing it too. You are messing up as well. And in fact, it's worse for you. Because you had my presence. You had my word. You have my land. You have everything. I gave you everything. I will not turn away its punishment. And he's speaking to Judah. That is the southern kingdom, it's the home of Jerusalem, the city of peace. It's the place that once stood the literal glory of God in the temple. The Shekinah glory of God. Imagine that for a second. I don't know what you, you know, how far your brain can go, but I've tried to imagine what the presence of God would look like. I have never come up with anything. I've been in the High Sierras after a violent, late summer thunderstorm to where it just blows in from the coast of California, sucked up a bunch of moisture and just lets go and there's lightning and thunder and you're just, you're hunkered down underneath a rock hoping you don't get blown to bits by a bolt of lightning. And then when the storm blows out, because the sun is normally now behind you, that's when you get rainbows, right? When the sun's behind you. And so all of a sudden there'll be a gigantic rainbow and just the beams of light coming through these densely black clouds. And it's just like, the, it looks to me like the glory of God is shining. It's like, oh, it's over. And the rainbows come and here comes the glory of God. I don't know. But I know this, God's presence was in the temple. The high priest went into the temple to meet with God. And the Jewish people said, eh. And they started doing their own thing. They said, ah, they got so used to the glory of God that they didn't care anymore. Yeah, that's just, just your kind of glory of God. No big deal. Listen. Because they have despised the law of the Lord. Yikes. Whenever I read these Old Testament passages, make no mistake, they apply to the Jew first. It was written for them, about them, and to them. But there is a lesson for us who are children of grace. Because if he will do this to his own kids, his real kids, Jesus' siblings, if you will. Jesus was a Jewish carpenter, by the way. Amen? So he is directly related by blood to the Jewish people. In that sense. He says to them, because of your transgressions being filled up, I will not turn away my punishment from you. Why? Because you haven't kept my commandments. Notice what he follows it with. And this is very frightening. And I don't mean to scare everybody. I mean to tell you that God is who he says he is. And what he said to them is true for us in that sense. He says, Their lies led them astray. They began to believe the lies. They began to walk their own way. We don't like what your commandments say. Because chief among them is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Amen? God says, look, I'm a jealous God. You can't have any gods besides me. I'm it. I'm the only one. I'll let you do a lot of things, but you can't do this. My mercy covers a lot of stuff. And so He says to them, Their lies have led them astray. Lies which their fathers followed. One of the dangers of any group of people following rancid leadership is that you're still not immune from the judgment that will come upon you for being involved in that particular group of people. It's one of the reasons why the church has to be caring about what happens in our culture and in our world. Because we're going to. When the whole thing starts to fall apart, when God's judgment comes upon any particular group of people, He exempts no one. Well, you know, I didn't really know. Well, the fact of the matter is we do know. And things should be an abomination to us. Now I'll draw your attention to a few things in a moment. For I will send fire upon Judah. This is his own people, folks. So don't ever think that people are exempt just because God's grace. God's still just. Will He save us through the fire? Yes, of course. Are we saved by grace and through faith? Absolutely. Are you going to get to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross and not what you did on this earth? You better believe it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? However, while you're on this earth you're subject to the justice and to the judgment of God. And when you don't stand up for Him, and I don't stand up for Him, and the church doesn't stand up for Him, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Now, when you do stand up, you can stand in righteousness, and God honors that. But when the church is asleep at the wheel like it is right now, and frankly it is, It's staggering to me how many people in the church don't believe a vast majority of what their Bibles say. They believe the parts they like to believe. Oh, well, you know, I just believe the red words in my Bible. You mean the one like, I didn't come to remove even one yot or one tittle from the law, but to fulfill all of it? Well, love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what? It's awesome. We should be loving our neighbors as ourselves. Well, we also have to tell our neighbors the truth. You can't pull those things apart. You can't say, well, I like this part, don't like that part. You don't get to do that. Notice what it says. You have not kept my commandments. All of them, plural, sum and total. And the sum and the total of the commandments were both Godward and manward. Amen? Remember... They were Godward and manward. They were not just Godward. They were manward. Those parts as well. And so when we think about what God is thinking, we have to remember His character hasn't changed. God is not happy about what's going on on earth. And He's not just displeased with the social injustices though I'm sure he's displeased with those, he's more displeased with the absolute ignorance of the church of his truth. That's what this says. And then they no longer do it. And then they tell God, well, it doesn't mean anything. I will send fire upon Judah and devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Folks, to this day, how many palaces are in Jerusalem? The number would be zero. None. Titus destroyed the entire Temple Mount. He pushed every last stone off the temple walls, and then the Muslims came and built on top of it in 640. Still no palaces. And there won't be one until the Antichrist comes and says, Oh, go ahead and rebuild one. And then that one's getting destroyed, and finally God will build the real one. The jealousy that was between these peoples is actually pretty easy to see to this day. Ah, yeah, you know, they have. Like I said, King Hussein <laughs> spends his own money to thumb his nose at the Jewish people. That's a Muslim mosque that sits over Mount Moriah. You have to remember that the the Muslims believe that that's the spot of of Muhammad's night ride to Mecca. But for the Jews, 2,000 years earlier, it was the spot that Abraham lifted that knife to offer up Isaac. It was the spot that Jesus stood on. You, you see, for us, it's like, well, you know, kind. Of, we don't really care too much. God cares. And he's going to keep his word. And so the point being this. When God said there in Exodus 20, You shall have no other gods before me. You will not make a graven image of any god. What do you think he thinks about the Al-Aqsa Mosque on his temple mount? What do you think he thinks about the Dome of the Rock covering over the spot where Abraham offered up his only son Isaac? They're graven images. As far as God's concerned, that's his temple mount. He gave it to the Jewish people. They gave it back to the Arabs. Fought for it, liberated, it, and said, Here it is. Don't want to have any problems. Well, God said there's going to be problems until He comes back. And there's still problems, even though they gave it back. Amen. <laughs> Go around the Temple Mount. Every single street corner. Group of military personnel. Bomb disposal dogs. Bomb disposal canisters, armored personnel. This is what happens outside of the Temple Mount, outside of the old city of Jerusalem. Hasn't changed. Remains the same. If you listen to the claim, pretty similar for us. And I would tell you, when you when you look at the, the sin of Judah, they turned their backs on God. They knew who he was. They would seen Jehovah God in action. This is the group of people who came out of Egypt, escaped the angel of death, crossed the Red Sea, survived in the wilderness, entered into the land of Canaan, fought the battle of Jericho, got defeated at the battle of Ai. You see what I'm saying? They knew Jehovah God. And yet they wouldn't keep his commands. They've been rescued time and time and time and time and time again. Family of God, do not make God rescue you time and time and time and time again. For if you do, you're like the fool who stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon with his toes on the rail, leaning back to try and get a picture. One of these days, your shoe's going to give out. And... You see, they had admitted lies, this passage says, doesn't it? They believed their own lies. Ah, it's not a baby, it's a mass of tissue. Ah, any marriage will do, as long as it's a committed relationship. Doesn't harm anybody. It's okay, have sex with whoever you want. You know what? It's kind of like marriage. God didn't mean that whole fornication thing. I mean, after all, He knows my heart. Yes, He does. Deceitfully wicked. Desperately wicked. And who can know it? You don't even know it. Well, you know, pot's just like alcohol. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? You hear what the Lord is looking at our earth and going, "Oh, hey, hasn't changed much. For three transgressions and four. I don't know when we get to seven. I don't want to find out when we get to seven. I don't want to be part of a country who gets to seven. And so consequently, I'm going to keep preaching the truth. I don't have any choice. I know what my Bible says. And I know what my history book tells me. God was right. And he did exactly what he said he would do. And to this day, he is still doing exactly what he said he would do. And the conditions he said existed still exist. You know what? I'm kind of thick at times. But I'm not so thick to not believe 2,700 years of human history. Well, you know, it's kind of coincidental. Sure it's coincidental. Like there's air in this room to breathe is coincidental. You can't live a lie and believe that God will ignore it. And I'll remind you of our study in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, 4, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened to have tasted of the heavenly gift, it says in verse 4 of Hebrews 6, to have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, literally endued with the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God. Tasted, that means to take in, eat, and be nourished by. Do you get it? It's not just to kind of sort of hear it every once in a while. And walk, You got turned on to the things of the Lord. Who so tasted that good word. And the powers of the age to come. If they fall away. To renew them again to repentance. A lot of the world doesn't believe that passage. Well, you know, I just want God's grace. If you want God's grace, you also have to take His holiness. You've got to take His truth. You have to believe all of what He said, not part of what He said. We don't get to pick and choose. Nobody ever has, including Judah. For since they crucify again themselves the Son of God. You see what Israel and Judah were saying was, ah, what you did for us, God, wasn't quite enough. You need to do some more. I don't really like what you said, so you need to change it. Matter of fact, I so don't like what you said, I'm going to make up my own rules. I'm going to follow those. Oh, my goodness. Trust that the Lord is just. Trust that He's gracious and kind, of course. And His salvation comes by grace, through faith, of course. But trust that He's just. Don't be tempted to disbelieve the justice of God. The Jewish people did it. The Edomites did it. The Moabites did it. The Amorites did it. The Assyrians did it. The Babylonians did it. The Lebanese have done it. The Egyptians have done it. What happened to them? They're still paying for it. Okay? They are still paying for it, and yet the world says, "Ah, the Bible is just a book of fables." Not true. Doom fell on Judah. The Babylonians came. Amen. You got a bunch of books you can read. Read the book of Daniel. Daniel. Read the book of Jeremiah. Find out what was happening. Isaiah, what was happening at the time? Look, guys, we're going to go into captivity for 70 years. What happened to them? They went into captivity for 70 years. What happened when they came back? The city was burned. Leveled. Wasted. They've never recovered. Oh, yeah, there was a temple for a while. And it met the fate of the first one. And the second one... Ended up the same way. The third one, going in the canyon. It won't be until the millennial temple comes. It's all going to be okay. God's true. Now, he takes on Israel, the north, and thus says the Lord, and it's really pretty similar. For three three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Again, when you think God doesn't punish, read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. The Lord chastens those whom he loves. And if he does not chasten you, you are not his children. That's what it says. So you can count on it. So the choice is for us, you know what? I got it. I'm just going to do what he says. Pretty simple, isn't it? And yet people go, oh, you know, that's kind of hard. No, just do what he says. Do you know what God's opinion is on something? Because you've read God's word, and you know what it says? Do exactly that. You'll have peace with God. You'll also have peace within yourself. That is the peace that surpasses your own human understanding that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's because the Lord's calling the shots. The ball's on strikes. He's going, that's a ball. That's a strike. He's the umpire. A lot of people want to be their own ump. You ever watch kids' baseball games? They argue with the ump all the time, don't they? That wasn't a strike. It was like dead down the middle. That wasn't a strike. Who's the ball? When you try and call your own balls and strikes, you're a kid. That's what children do. That's not what full grown mature adults do. You know what? That guy's been doing that a long time. God's been doing it a long time. He's been righteous a long time, like forever. Amen? He's been holy forever. You realize he's never made a mistake. Ever. He's never led somebody astray. Ever. He's never given someone a task that they're not able to do. Ever. He's not ever told us to do something that's impossible. Ever. And yet we try and call our own balls and strikes. I will not turn away its punishment because they sell the righteous for silver. Get this. Put some of these things together and realize, look at your world in light of these things. When right, righteous people are treated as a commodity to be bought and sold. we got a few of those floating around the world today, don't we? They're commodities to be bought and sold. And the poor for a pair of sandals. When the world takes advantage of righteous people and poor people, the world's in trouble. Never has that been more true than today. There are more poor than ever in the course of human history. And yet we have more than we've ever had in the course of human history. We have more goods, more services, more capability, more ability, more technology. We have the capacity to take care of every single poor person on the planet. You realize that, right? The only reason that poverty exists is because of the wickedness of man. It's not a lack of supply. And it sure isn't a lack of demand. It's wickedness that does that. It's greed. It's avarice. It's wickedness. And so he says, and this was the case in that northern, in the northern kingdom of Israel. He, he says, you know what? Here, here's the problem. And we're going to see a formula to it. And it's a very, it's a very quick one. You, you see, just as people are today, they're turning from the truth. They're turning towards the lies. They invented. They wanted to do exactly what they wanted to do. And so you can kind of imagine, as the northern kingdom is hearing this word from Amos, because he spoke it in the north, he's going, yeah, that's right, get Judah, they're wicked. You ever do that? (laughs) Yeah, that's right, get them, they're wicked. And he turns it around on him, he says, you know what? you got a problem too. And so he begins to back all of this up and back them into a corner. You know, basically, like like Judah of old, I, I wonder how many of us, And again, I'm not speaking so much to you as I am to our culture, and I'm speaking very specifically to the church that won't uphold God's Word. It drives me absolutely nuts that there are pastors occupying pulpits who no longer find the Word of God a necessity. They'll quote from all kinds of books, they'll quote from psychologists, they'll quote from doctor this and doctor that, but they won't quote from the Word of God. And it's pathetic and sinful. You see, what God now says to them is, they pant after the dust of the earth. You see, here's the facts. Here's the facts. Okay? The facts are this. Here's the proof of all of this. Amos delivers his prophecies, turns the broadside on the rest of the Israelites. Well, you know, how come you're talking about us? You see, the truth does that. The truth is true to me. It's true to you. Amen? It's not just true for me and not true for you. It's true for everybody. It's one of the beauties of clinging to the Word of God. Because if I stick to what the Word says, I don't have a problem with being wrong. I'll never be outmoded. I won't be outdated. I'm not going to have any of those problems. Because God's Word is eternal. It's true. It's always truth. And so now he turns it on him. He says, look, guys, here's here's the deal. Here's the formula. You can only push me so far and here's what you're doing you're panting after the dust of the earth which is on the head of the poor this is you're taking advantage of poor people you know one of the reasons that i anti these gigantic entitlement programs is they keep people in poverty that's what they do they don't free anybody from poverty Giving people something has never freed anyone from poverty. And if you've ever been in the mission field, if you've ever been in a third world country, you know what I'm saying is an absolute fact. You can take people food all day, every day, all week, every week, all month, every month, all year, every year, at infinitum, and the moment you leave, they're still poor. They're still poor. It's true in our inner cities, It is true in our outlying areas to where there there is little going on. It's true in the third world countries. The bottom line is, the reason people are poor, generally speaking, is because they have not been given the opportunity to work. There needs to be an opportunity for them to prosper. Don't continue to give people something, and then you end up needing their votes to put you back in office. That's what happens. Because you've given them so much, they no longer know how to do anything for themselves except put their hands out. They pervert the way of the humble. And I'm not talking about everybody being rich. Neither is God. You see, it's okay to live a humble life. It's okay to live on, on, on next to nothing if you can. But don't take from the poor. And don't abuse them and don't use them. And don't use them as an excuse for the reason that you're doing what you're doing. What comes next is just unbelievable. A man and his father go into the same girl. What he's saying is, father and son went and visited the same prostitute. Like, come on, son, let me teach you how to live life. Let's go down to the club together. When a country gets to that state, it's doomed. Doomed. We have multiple generations now of men, especially, that are addicted to pornography. And they got it from their dad. Got it from their brother, their uncle, or their cousin. It's destroying us. It's rotting the minds of our youth. It's destroying marriages. It's tearing homes apart. They lie down after every altar and take clothes on a pledge. They're (laughs) bargaining for the dude's clothes. The drink of wine of the condemned house of their God. You, You see, in northern Israel, in the northern kingdom, they still had a very heavy influence of Molech and Ashtaroth, And the Jewish people were trying to be happy. They were trying to make sure they didn't offend anyone. They didn't want to be culturally, you know, unaccepting. It's just like our world today. Well, you know what? It's, just that it's okay. It's not that big a deal. Just let it go. You can't. If you love the Lord, if you know the Lord, and if you honor His Word, you must stand for what He stands for. You don't have a choice. It's not your decision. You were bought and paid for with the price. Christ's blood. He now owns you. You live life His way. You do it by grace and through faith, of course. And you do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not your own human effort. But the fact of the matter is, He's got a standard. And yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. It wasn't them. You see, they thought they fought all these battles, like when, they, when Joshua came and whipped up on Jericho. You remember he got kind of lifted up with pride? You know what the next battle was? Ai. This little dinky town in the middle of nowhere. This little scum-ridden city wasn't worth two cents. And the Jews got slaughtered because they pridefully thought they won the battle at Jericho. Joshua fought it, but God won it. was like the height of the great cedars. He was as strong as the oaks, and yet I destroyed its fruit above and its roots beneath. He says, look guys, I was the one that delivered you. You didn't deliver yourself. You ain't all that, is what he's saying. It wasn't you, it was me. And also, it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you for 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. He says, the land that you're now fighting over, I gave you and you didn't even earn it. You don't want God to have to teach you these lessons personally. It's not a good idea. Again, it's the dude with his foot on the rail to Grand Canyon. I can get away with it. I can tell God whatever I want to tell him, you know, because, I, man, I have the strongest, I went to toe mania. And I have the world's most powerful toes. I can lift thousand pounds with each of my toes, and I can grip this forever. Yeah, but you forgot about the grease the kid put on the rail. You didn't see that little piece of information. It's because there's a God who's above you. There's a God who's behind you and a God who's been where you're going to go. He said, I did it. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. You you, you see, here's the facts of it all. It was a society that was completely devoid of all moral restraint. Every bit of it. They had lost sight of it. Some of your young men as Nazarites, it is not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord, but you gave the Nazarites wine to drink. You you tried to ruin them. And you told the prophets, don't prophesy. You get the picture? God says, this is how it's going to be. He provides them entrance into the land, He does everything for them to make sure it happens, and then they turn their back on God. And they begin to do the very things He told them not to do. And it brought God's judgment on them. And so it ends up as He speaks to their future. You don't want to follow Molech. You don't want to follow Ashtaroth. You don't want to kill your own children. You don't want to be indiscriminate in your sexual liaisons. You don't want to challenge the truth of God. You don't want to poo-poo the prophets, so to speak. You don't want to say, ah, it's not from God. Frankly, family, I don't really care if you don't like me at a point... I I want to be your friend, by the way. But when it comes to the word of God, I'm willing to tell you what it says in spite of you hating me. That's what has to happen. You see, it's up to you to take the truth and do something with it. If you hate me, you're against God. You're not against me. I know I'm a knucklehead. There's plenty of things to not like about me. But when I speak, thus says the Lord... That's between you and Jesus. You can receive it and believe it, or you can say, Nazarite, prophet, don't care. Just the word of God. It's a Bible, it's an old book. I would highly advise against that stance. Because your future is this, and we'll close. Behold, I am weighed down by you. Oh how you don't want to weigh down the Lord. Oh how you do not to be want to be one of those people about whom he's looking to shake off because you're heavy. You're a cart full of sheaves as it is weighed down. You see the sheaves were completely valueless. Amen the wheat's off, it's just the straw. It was good for making mud bricks. Animal feed and using in the bottom of the horse trough. You, you don't want to be that. And therefore, flight shall perish from the swift. Oh, you thought you were all that. You were really strong. You were beefy. You were buff. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, prosperity. Oh, you had it all. Why do you suppose that Jesus said of the Laodiceans? for they were neither hot nor cold I will spew them out of my mouth for they have said of themselves I am rich and I have need of nothing I don't even need God nor shall he strengthen his power nor shall the mighty deliver himself he shall not stand who handles the bow the swift of foot shall not escape nor shall he who rides the horse deliver himself the most courageous men of might shall flee naked notice the point in time in that day. When God says he has had enough. When the Antichrist rises. When the time of tribulation comes. Everyone who's walking the earth right now. Well you know I voted for gay marriage. You know I've been poor pot all along. You know I don't think anybody should have to be married. After all you know it's just a way that you get your assets divided up. I don't want to honor God. I don't really care what he has to say. I'm a new man. Well, if that's you and you make it into the tribulation, you're gonna be shaken in your boots. And all that strength is gonna go right where it came from, nowhere. So the moral to the story is don't transgress God three and then four times, totaling seven. Don't test him. Don't hook your toes on the rail. Don't say you know better when you hear the word of the Lord. Be a doer of the word of the Lord. Amen. Don't deceive yourself. Don't believe the lie. Because the lie will kill you eventually. And if you do that, you walk in that blessed state of knowing that one day we're going to see the glorious appearing of our great God and King. Amen. Can't wait. Not appointed to wrath, but unto salvation. So the good news for those who walk in the ways of the Lord. One day all this trial, tribulation, this stuff that goes on in this earth is going to end, and you're going to be standing with your Savior face to face in heaven. And that's going to be a really good day. Amen? You don't want what these knuckleheads got. So don't do what they did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight, for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that we don't need to even worry about these things when we walk in your ways. Lord, when we're pleasing to you, we we know that we have your heart, we have your ear, we have your blessing. We have your power. Lord, we have your strength. And so, Lord, help us to walk worthy of the calling wherein you have called us, as your word says. Lord, help us to be doers of the word. Lord, help us to not just be hearers and go about our own way. Lord, help us to be good listeners, Lord and consequently real disciples, those who follow you. We bless you. We praise you. God, we thank you for tonight. Lord, thanks for your word, for the truth of it. Thanks that we can look at our world, Lord, and see exactly what you said is true. Lord, we thank you for that. It strengthens us, causes us to know that these words didn't come from earth. They came from heaven. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.